Today we're going to pick up um, in this series called Pulled. Now, for those of you who've been with us, this is our third week in the series. And the first week we talked about the gospel. Uh, and last week we talked about grace. And this week we're going to talk about integrity. Now, now let me explain what I mean. Um, when, when we're living in a post-pandemic world, in a world that has the polarization and the pulling apart that we have, there's this sense in which, as I've told you for a few weeks, that I kind of feel like Gumby. It's just like I'm, I'm pulled in all these different directions. But here's what I know. I know that no matter what pulls me and how far it pulls me, there is a centering place, and that centering place is in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you'd let me, I, I want to talk to you about what it means when the gospel and the, the grace of Jesus end up creating this integrity in our life. Now, integrity doesn't mean perfection. In integrity does not mean perfection. Integrity, integrity is more this sense of connectedness to the, to the one who is perfect. Uh, integrity is more about what it means to, to be connected to God through Jesus Christ than it is about you and I being perfect. And throughout Scripture, there are these, what I call, pivot point stories. I mean, there are, there are great stories in the Word of God. I mean, maybe your favorite one is like Daniel in the lion's den, right? Or, or maybe it's um, Moses and the burning bush. Or, or maybe, um, if you're into family dynamics, it's you know, Joseph and uh, the coat of many colors, and then the imprisonment, and then his brother's showing up. I don't know what your favorite story is. Now, I do know some of you are looking at me going, now, wait a minute, Pastor. The, the greatest story is the story of Jesus. It's the story of a God who loves us so much that he would let his only begotten son come to earth, become flesh, dwell among us, then die on a cross, be resurrected on the third day, and do all of that so that we could have eternal life. Man, that's got to be like the greatest story, right? But there's, there's another pivot point story. And I, I know it's not as great as the greatest story. But what I want you to know is the story I'm about to tell you today is a story that if this story didn't happen, then you and I would not be the followers of Jesus Christ that we are. In fact, if this story doesn't happen in the New Testament, then, then most of us, unless we are Jewish in background, would not have ever had the opportunity to experience what we found in Jesus Christ. Now, the story, you would think when I say something like that, if you know your Bible, you're like, oh, that's, a, that's something in the book of Acts. No, actually, the parameters of the story are in the book of Acts, but the actual story is in the letter to the churches in Galatia. As I've told you the last couple of weeks, the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey went into this region and he began to speak the truth to Gentiles that Jesus died for them. Now, for those of you who aren't connected with Bible language, let me just explain. Jewish people are people who are Hebrew in heritage. It's, it's a nationality. It's a race. But, but Gentiles are people who are not from that race. That's why I said, if this story I'm about to share with you today did not take place unless you are Hebrew or Jewish, then you would not have been able to hear 
about who Jesus is, the fact that he did come. He was born in a manger. He did walk among us. He did do miracles among us. He taught us things about God that no one else could teach us because he's God's only son. And then he laid down his life and, and died for your sins and my sins and the sins of the world and was resurrected on the third day. See, without the story I'm about to tell you, only Jewish people would know that story. Because this is a story about two men and two cities and two groups of people. And it's a pivot point story. The story is recorded in this letter. As we've talked the last couple of weeks in the first chapter of the letter, Paul's identified that, that what happened after he went through and shared this good news, this gospel, this grace of God, that there were people who came behind him. And they said to those who were Gentiles, who were not Hebrew heritage, hey, you know what? It's, it's, it's okay for you to accept Jesus. And Paul's gospel, that, you know, what he's teaching you about Jesus, it, that, that's okay, but it's just not enough. What you really need to do is, if you really want to know the fullness of God, what you have to do is, is accept Jesus and accept all the Hebrew heritage and regulations. Uh, theologians refer to these people as a group, as Judaizers. I, I love that word. It, it sounds like a gang somewhere, right? Judaizers. I want to be one of the Judaizers. That's, that's who I want to be. No, listen, you really don't. <laughs> because these are the people who take the the grace and the gospel, and they rob it of its integrity. And when Paul begins telling the story, in the first chapter of this letter, he talks about his own experience and about how he met Jesus and about the authority that he has because he spent time with Jesus. And he didn't learn this gospel and get his authority from the disciples in Jerusalem or the church in Jerusalem. But he learned this story. He, he had his conversion by a personal encounter with Jesus, the resurrected Lord. And as he's telling the story, he begins to, to share about his relationship with the church in Jerusalem. Because it's in that relationship that this pivot point takes place. I told you last week, some scholars most scholars would date this as an early letter of Christ, of Paul about Christ. Jesus died somewhere approximately 33 AD. Paul came to be a Christian sometime later that year or the next year. This letter was written somewhere around 48 AD. So we're talking about something within the first two decades of when, of when, Jesus actually died for us. So it's pretty close. And as Paul's writing this letter, establishing that he didn't learn all of this from the apostles in Jerusalem, but that he did go to Jerusalem. And he spent a couple of weeks, he says 15 days, with Peter, or Cephas, as he refers to him by his, his Greek name. And so as he, as he does that, he then, he then tells this part of the story. Listen as I read. I, I want to read you the first two chapters of the story. Not two chapters from the Bible. Two chapters of the story. Because this is a story with three chapters. Listen to the first two. From Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. 
Then, 14 years after my conversion, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you and from those who seem to be influential. What they, what they were makes no difference to me, Paul says, because God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry of the circumcised, and he also worked through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, those are the first two chapters of the story. And some of you are listening and you're saying, well, pastor, what do you mean this is a pivot point story? This is the most important thing. Yeah, here's why. It's a pivot point story because this is about the encounter between Paul and Peter, Antioch and Jerusalem, and about what it means to live your life with integrity and to live it in such a way that you're connected to this God who covers your imperfection, who covers your failure with his perfection and who allows you to live in connection with him, as we talked last week, in a grace that doesn't just give you salvation, but a grace that gives you life, a grace that gives you strength, a grace that sustains you. And what, what we're looking at here in this story is, is the actual implementation of the grace. What we're looking at here is the actual living out of the truth of the gospel. Because as Paul is going to the church in Jerusalem on behalf of the church outside of Jerusalem, as he's saying to these who are saying, no, you've got to follow all of these Old Testament rules. You've got to be a part of all of this Old Testament imagery. You've got to do all of these things in order to fully know Jesus. What, what he's doing is he's, he's saying, hey, you know what? Jesus is more than any religious system. Jesus is more than any racial or ethnic heritage. Jesus has initiated a new kingdom, a kingdom that, that is the kingdom of God. Now, it exists, it coexists with the kingdom of the world around us. And those of us who are in the kingdom of God have to live in that interface and live in that interaction, but we live in it with a different set of values. And so, as he starts telling the story, he's demonstrating the integrity it takes to live out the gospel and the grace. Now, some of you are going, Pastor, wait a minute. What do you mean he's demonstrating? Well, I want to show you some nuances to the story. Because here's what I've discovered in the life of Paul and in this story. I've discovered that integrity, 
The integrity that grows out of this connection to the perfect God. This integrity that grows out of the good news, the gospel, and the grace. That, that integrity does something in those who follow Jesus. And it did it in, in Paul, who used to be Saul. Re remember, his basic temperament was very, very strong. He was a man who had taken orders from the Pharisees. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was on his way to kill everybody who followed Jesus when he encountered Jesus. And out of that, and out of this time frame, out of these 14 years, he's been living in a daily connection with Jesus. And so here's, here's where the story gets fun. You have, to, you have to look at the nuances. Because you see, the integrity... The integrity that you find connected to the perfect God creates something in your life. It creates wisdom in your life. It creates wisdom in how you interact with people and how you do things. You see, we're living in a world right now with all kinds of information. You can get information from everywhere, but can you get wisdom? And what Paul is demonstrating for us in the way he interacts with Peter, with James, with John, with the church, even with those who oppose him, he's demonstrating a wisdom. You say, Pastor, what, what are you talking about? Well, look at that scripture again. I want you to look at just the first sentence. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, 14 years after his conversion, he went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Now just stop right there. In that sentence, you see the wisdom. You're like, oh, Pastor, I see two names of guys and, and just a travel log about what's going on. No, let me explain. Barnabas, you remember, he had been there once before. But if you read the book of Acts, you know that when Paul first went to, to Jerusalem, after his conversion, uh, Peter and the others were not real sure about it. In fact, some people wouldn't talk to him. It was Barnabas who was a Jewish believer Someone raised, his actual name was Joseph. He was from Cyprus. We read about him early on in the book of Acts. He was one of those people who was converted on that day of Pentecost. And, and he's, the guy who, he's the guy who was known as the son of encouragement. That's what Barnabas means, son of encouragement, because he's the one who encouraged the church because he had some land holdings and he, and he sold those, those lands and he gave the money to the disciples and said, hey, look, feed the poor. And everybody, everybody loved Barnabas, right? And when Paul, who had been Saul, professes Christianity and that Jesus Christ is his Lord, some people think this is just because he, you know, he was a pretty sharp guy. This is, a, this is a ploy to get in and know who we are and then turn on us and arrest all of us. It was Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who went and, and said, no, no, this is real in Saul. And it was Barnabas who was sent down by these same authorities in Jerusalem to Antioch when the Holy Spirit began to, to speak into the lives of people in Antioch and they became, as Gentiles, followers of Jesus Christ. And it was the people in Jerusalem who sent Barnabas down to Antioch in order to find out, is this true? Barnabas was trusted. That's what I want you to know. Barnabas was trusted by the church in Jerusalem, by the authority figures there, the influential people Paul refers to them as. And so it made sense for Paul, who's going because of this revelation, to privately meet with these influential people, James, the brother of Jesus, John, the beloved disciple, Peter, Cephas, and, and, he, and he begins to say, you know what, I'm taking Barnabas with me. Now, you would think, well, that's pretty wise, right? Most of us could get there. 
But here's the other thing. He takes Titus. Titus is not well-known in Jerusalem. Titus is not respected by the elders. In fact, Titus is not even Jewish. Titus is a Gentile. So why, why are you making such a big deal about this, Pastor? Because here's why it's a pivot point. Here's why it's wisdom based in the integrity of the gospel, the good news, and the grace of God. Because what, what Paul is prompted to do by the wisdom of God is to take with him someone that is trusted and a case study in exactly what the Holy Spirit has done. And he takes these two guys with him into Jerusalem, into the church. And he, and he says, look, I'm here because I want to make sure for 14 years, I've been out here telling people, you know what? You don't need to be Jewish. You don't need to follow the dietary restrictions. You don't need to do all of the things that the Hebrew people do. No, you just need to have faith in Jesus Christ who died for you. Have a faith that you believe that his blood covers your sin. His death was for your life and that he was resurrected so you could have eternal life. I've been doing that for 14 years and now I, I, I just want to come in and I want to I say to you guys, hey, I, I trust you. See, lone rangers don't fit well in the kingdom of God. Independent spirits don't fit well among the people of God. People who are like, oh, I've got a vision from God. Okay, Now, listen to me. God will never give you a vision that he will not verify by the authority of his word and the authority of his people. Someone will always hear the same thing. And God will always bring you into community, into accountability. See, part of what we're living through coming out of the pandemic is we don't know who to trust. Don't you remember 2020? Who were we supposed to trust? Authority figures, people who were in positions of power, people who were supposedly having information about this strange disease that none of the rest of us had ever heard about, and they're all saying different things. Which one do you believe? Well, quite honestly, that's the way a lot of people view Christianity right now. I was having lunch this week with a, a young pastor friend of mine down in the Indy metro area. He's got a really strong ministry among people who are, who are far from God. And he was trying to explain to me the changes he's seen attitudinally in these people that he rubs shoulders with every day. Maybe you've seen it too. He said, hey, Carrie, you know what? For about 10 years, until about 2016 or 17, Everybody that, I, everybody that I would see would be at least somewhat spiritually curious. They'd be like, you know what? I, I'm a little curious about this Jesus. I'm a little curious about God. I'm a little curious about what do those people do in those buildings they call churches. I, they were just curious enough that if we built a relationship, they, they, they would ask some questions and I could, we could kind of navigate that together. He said, but then, but then it began to change. And, and it kind of slowly evolved. And he said, I've watched it go from being spiritually curious to now being spiritually skeptical. And now they're skeptical about everybody and everything. And, and over the last couple of years with the pandemic, it's just gotten worse because we don't know who to trust. We don't know where the integrity is. Nobody seems to have enough wisdom. And as I listened to him, I, I found myself agreeing with him based on my experiences. And I said, you know what, I think, I think we need to add a third category, man. 
He said, what? I said, I think we need to add a category called spiritually critical. Because it's not just that some people are skeptical. Right now, they're antagonistic. Right now, you've got friends who look at you with disdain when they follow you, find out you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Oh, you've got people who discount you, who make you feel less than. What the apostle Paul was doing when he went into Jerusalem was he was saying, look, I don't want to be a lone ranger. I'm out here trying to win people and share people, share the love of Jesus with people who've never heard about Yahweh and the children of Israel and Moses and a burning bush and Joseph and a coat of many colors and Daniel and Elijah. They don't know that stuff. They just need help. And what they need to know is that all of those stories, all of those stories lead to this experience of Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord, as their Master. So, after 14 years of telling people this stuff and then having people come along behind him and say, no, no, that's not enough. He's like, you know what? I probably just want to make sure. I mean, Peter and I had this thing, this conversation before. I just want to go and make sure. And when I go, I'm going to take somebody they trust and I'm going to take somebody who's been changed by Jesus. See, my friend, that's wisdom. And that kind of wisdom is created by the integrity that you have from a connection to the perfect one. It's not by you being perfect. It's not by you being the smartest person in the room. It's not by you having all the experiences. It's by this connection. Integrity creates wisdom, and Paul demonstrates it for us. But you know what else it does? Integrity develops consistent character in your life. Consistent character in your life. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, see, when the wisdom comes in your life, it changes the way you think and the way you act. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes you are put in a place where you have to demonstrate your connection to the perfect one. For, for, for Paul, it happened when he and Barnabas and Titus were in Jerusalem. And they're meeting with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, and John, and the people that were thought to be influential. Did you hear how he talked about it? He said, we met privately with them. And when we met privately with them, I, I, listen to what happens in there. This is, this is a huge part of the story. Look, look at what takes place. Yet because of false brothers, now that word false can also be translated weak. Because of false or weaker brothers, they secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that we might, they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. See, what, what Paul's telling the Galatians is this. These people who are telling you, I'm not enough of an apostle, I'm not really connected, they don't know. I've met with the people they, they, they actually know. They, they, they actually don't realize I have a relationship with Peter. I, you know, they're saying that he doesn't approve. I've been there. I've talked to him. I've done that. And, and as a result, I can say to you, when they slipped into this meeting and they tried to say, hey, listen, Paul's wrong. 
We need to be, we need to follow the Old Testament regulations. I didn't back down off of them. Not one bit. When I was a young pastor, I was pastoring in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And um, through a series of circumstances, um, I, I, um, I, I ended up, our church ended up, having to have some, some, it was an innocent thing. I promise you, I don't have a criminal record. It was totally innocent. It wasn't me. It was the, it was the church treasurer. He filled out some forms wrong with the IRS. I learned so much over the next six months having to go meet with the IRS. Finally, it got to, to a place where, I, where my board said, you know what, we really need to get a, a, an authority. I said, good, because they didn't teach me this in seminary at all. And so we, uh, we hired a, an accounting firm to, to take our case. And, and, and when I walked into their office, okay, I walked into that office and, these, and, and, and they have pictures on the wall. And the pictures on the wall were of Christian, this was back in the 80s, Christian music celebrities, okay? And they supposedly, by the inference, they were being, these guys were, you know, working with those people. What they didn't know was, I went to college with three of those people. And one of them, one of them was, had a manager, a business manager, who actually, whose mother's sitting in this service. And, um, and, and I picked up the phone when I got back because they're saying, oh, we do these people. And so I, I, picked, I came back to the office and I called, I called Don. And, and, I, and I said, hey, Don, um, it's Carrie. Hey, Carrie, how you doing? I said, hey, you know, we're, we got a little thing we're doing. We're trying to hire a thing. Here's what's going on. It's a little technicality with the IRS and some things with the daycare we used to have. And we're trying to get that all figured out. And, uh, it, you know. And, and this guy says he knows, well, what's his name? Told him his name. I never heard of him. I said, what? He said, I don't know that guy. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, but I'll ask the other guys that we went to school with if they know the guy. He called me back two hours later. One of them says they met him in a reception line three weeks ago, but nobody else even knows him at all. I'm like, wow. He, he almost, what, what I'm saying to you is this, is, this is what was going on. These guys slipped in. They're saying things about Paul. They have no background for it. So when it happens, Paul does this. Paul says, no way. I picked up the phone, called the guy, and said, hey, you know what? I just talked to the people you say you represent, and they say they've never heard of you. So Thank you for the invitation, but we're not, you're, you're not doing business with us. We're going to find somebody who's going to be honest with us. And what I want you to hear is that in a world as polarized as the world we're living in, in a world coming out of a pandemic, in a world that's struggling as much as this world is struggling, there's this place where suddenly integrity not only creates wisdom to perceive and wisdom to how to act, but it also it also begins to create in us this consistency so that we're the same people wherever we are. And so Paul, being Paul, says to these weaker brothers who stepped in, no, you don't, you're not gonna influence us. This is still the gospel. This is still the truth. Now, those are the first two chapters of the story. I tell you those two to tell you the third chapter because the third chapter happens 
when after the part that I read for you, okay, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you, then here's what happens. Integrity embraces who we are and whose we are. Integrity that creates wisdom, integrity that, that develops this consistent character, this, this integrity then brings, brings us to the place where it embraces who we are and whose we are. Here's what I mean. Look at, look at the scripture that I read for you earlier. When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, wait, wait hold on. The last time we finished chapter 2, Paul is talking about, all right, Peter, James, the brother Jesus, John, they've said, hey, feed the hungry, feed, you know, take care of the hungry, feed the poor, take care of the widows. That's, that's what I wanted to do. We Everything's fine, right? Then the story shifts because now we move from Jerusalem to Antioch. And when we get to Antioch, what happens? When we get to Antioch, suddenly it opens. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. What in the world took place? Look at the story. For before certain people came from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, this group of people who were trying to change everything, these Judaizers. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so much so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is why this is a pivot point story. Is because sometimes even people who have wisdom being created in them, even people who've been trying to develop consistent character, forget who they are and forget whose they are. And my friend, if that can happen to the apostle Peter, to Cephas, it can happen to you. It can happen to me. But integrity, integrity always pulls us back to that place where we embrace, who are we? We are the children of God, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Whose are we? We belong to God. He is our Father. He is the one who loves us. He is the one who calls us into his presence. If we're gonna find our way forward out of this pandemic, then we've got to be willing to live not just proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just the, the good news, not just the grace that saves people from their sins, but we've got to be willing to be involved with, be con literally controlled by that same grace, that same good news with an integrity that brings us wisdom. Can you imagine what the world would look like in the next 10 years if the people of God the people called by Jesus Christ, the sons and daughters of God, were people who lived in such a way that people who saw us, people who are spiritually critical, people who are spiritually skeptical, people who are spiritually curious, were to see in us, were to discover in us, and integrity they don't find anywhere else. 
Some of you are listening to me going, yeah, but pastor, I've heard about this and I've heard about that. Yeah, I know right now that, that the church as an organization is, quite honestly, we fail with integrity in so many places. But remember, even Peter failed. In fact, you read the life of Peter, he failed multiple times. And here's Paul saying to Peter, hey, listen, listen you can't act like this. You can't say these words about how, how you're, you're going to tell me, oh, yeah, it's all about grace. It's all about uh, freedom in Christ. It's justification by faith. Paul, you got it. You're teaching. And then show up, and when, you're, when these other peoples come, you move from the table where you've been back into a separation from them. Peter, you can't live like that. That's why Paul says, I confronted him to his face. I opposed him. Because here's what integrity does. Integrity reminds you of who you are and whose you are. If you're on campus with us, underneath your chair, right next to the leg of your chair, you're going to find a, uh, a little packet. If you're with us online, you've already been told in the chat rooms to prepare for a moment to get bread and cup. Because you see, this, um, this integrity, this remembering whose we are and who we are, started on the night before Jesus died. When Jesus sat down with the men and women who had followed him, in so many different places. They had heard him teach in a way that, that befuddled the scribes and the Pharisees. They had watched him heal broken bodies and do miracles that no one else had ever done. They had, they had watched him call Lazarus from the grave. In fact, more than likely, Lazarus was in the room. And when they sat at the table for Passover, and Jesus had been trying to tell them that he was going to lay down his life, but finally he looked at them and he said, listen, I want you to know tomorrow I'm going to die for you. And, and this bread that you've eaten your entire life as a celebration of the, of the provision of God for our ancestors as they left Egypt, the manna in the desert and you've, you've eaten the bread and said, you know what, God always provides. And this cup, the cup of salvation that reminds us that no matter how, how bad the persecution, God has always saved us from it. And he's always been there for us. What I, I want to invite you to do is, is every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, I, I want you to remember what I'm about to do for you. And this morning, I guess what I want to invite you to do is to take a few minutes and to just hold the bread in the cup and to take a, a couple of minutes and, and, and basically listen to God and ask this question. Do I really know who I am in Jesus Christ? Do I really know whose I am? Have I forgotten that? 
am I connected to Jesus in such a way that he's creating integrity in me and he's giving me wisdom to make my way through the tough, tough times? Am I, am I so connected to him that, that he's creating the kind of character in me that when everybody else walks away, when everybody else turns their back, when, when, when people are trying to, to pull me out of my relationship with Jesus, I can stand firm in that relationship. And for those of you who are on campus, I'm going to ask you to listen. And whenever you're ready to say, God, I, I really do want to live in a way that reflects your love and your life, then I'm going to ask you to take the bread and then the cup. And while you, while we reflect on Jesus' act for us, Irene's going to sing a song. And most of you won't know the song. But I want you to look at the lyrics on the screen. I want you to hear with your ears and your heart who Jesus Christ is and what he wants to do in your life. And whenever you're ready to take the bread and the cup, then I'm going to ask you to take it and then I'm going to ask you to stand as a statement to God himself that you are going to live for him. And if you want to join Irene in singing, you feel free to do that. I'll come back at the end of the song. Pray for all of us. But right now, let this be a time where you can hear from Jesus and know that he is going to help you find your way forward through his good news, through his grace, and through his integrity.